podcast about product management, user experience design, technology, and more. This is Product by Design. All right, welcome back to another episode of Product by Design. I am Kyle Evans, and this week we have another great guest with us, Brad Hawkins. Welcome, Brad. Thanks, Kyle. Excited to be here. Very excited. Yeah. Excited to chat with you today. So let me do a brief introduction for, for you, Brad, and then you can tell us a little bit more about yourself. But Brad is the Chief Solutions Officer at Service Power, uh, which is a leading field service management software for companies like Costco, LG, Whirlpool, and more. And Brad has more than 25 years of experience devel- developing field service solutions and uh, elevating the processes for customer experiences. So I'm excited to talk to you because I think there's a lot to unpack there, but why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and some of your experience? Sure. Um, I, I will start by telling you I'm a long timer at Service Power. Um, I've been with the company. I'm in my 28th year, uh, which I know a lot of people hear that and go, my God, how is it that you could stay at one <laughs> long? One, you know, I, I love the mission we have at Service Power. Uh, I love the work I've done at Service Power. I've done many roles in my time here. I have run development. Uh, I've run product. I've run our professional services organization. So I have a bit of a varied background, which from a product standpoint, I love that because I've learned in running product, you're kind of like a miniature or a junior CEO. You work with every section of the business, every aspect of the business. So yeah, so I mean, I, like I said, I've I've been here forever. I, if I go all the way back before that, I started my career as a self-taught programmer worked at a, a company that we did data management and worked my way into, you know, then came to service power, which I know we'll get a little more into, you know, what we do and how our, how our stuff, you know, fits in the world today. But um, yeah, just somebody who's, uh, again, I've been here forever, but had a varied background within service power. You know, I, I like to think I've, I've been in this field service industry for a long time. So, and I, and I'm passionate about talking to it. You're going to learn that in this podcast. Geek for field service. So I'll stop there. And uh, that's that's a bit of background on me. Well, I'm, I'm excited to talk a little bit more about it. But before we dive into that, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what you like to do outside of the office? What do I like to do outside of the office? So, uh, you know, living out, I, I, I do live out in Arizona. So I've got great weather. Uh, I've got a boat. I love spending time with the family on the boat. I love golfing, which I live in the golf capital of the world. Boy, uh, like to travel when we can, but uh, you know, have two two daughters at home that that can make that challenging at times. But uh, I mean, yeah, for my home life, it's a, it's all about family and uh, what we can do together. But you know, again, spending some time out at the lake and you know, we're, we're pretty basic here in this house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And we're, we're definitely right now we're recording in the the winter time. So, you know, depending on when you're listening to this right now in, in Arizona is a really, really nice time uh, to to be there. Today it's, it's gotta be about 70 degrees today, sunny. Um, feels great outside. Now, again, for, for those understanding when it's recording, when it is August, you're talking 110. I have this thing where if it hits a hundred, I can't golf. I just can't do it because you play about, you get about five or six holes in and even though you're carting around, it still saps you. So I just, yeah. so I try to get in as much golf as I can now. Yeah. But it is a great place to live. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm, I love, love Arizona. I think it's, I think it's just an absolutely beautiful place and a great, great, great state. Yep. All right. I want to, to hear a little bit more 
about your journey and your current role. So, you know, you've, you've uh, been with Service Power for a long time, uh, 28 years that you meant, you mentioned. So tell us a little bit more about how you got into uh, the things that you're doing. You, you know, you said you started out uh, as a self-taught programmer and then, you know, went through a number of roles in your current company. Uh, you know, as you worked through you know, a variety of different things. Tell us about that journey, you know, how you went from one thing to another, especially within the same organization. And what did that look like? And then how did it lead up to your current role as chief solutions officer? Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack there, but, um, what I would tell you is somebody again, who I had, I had kind of taught myself how to program and had worked my way into even before service power where, you know, had jobs where we were doing some programming as it related to ICR and OCR of, of you know, capturing data through intelligent character re- recognition. Um, one of the things I learned early on that I think helped me move into additional roles was as a programmer, it's, you know, you can get by by knowing how to write code and, you know, producing good code, but understanding the purpose, what's the value like asking yourself what's the value in what I'm doing and applying it to why it matters to the business. When you start to think in those terms, that's when you're kind of taking it out of, I'm not just a coder anymore. I want to understand why what I'm doing matters. The way that kind of worked at Service Power, and we're going way back. So when you go back 20 years, like it was a lot different back then. But um, I took that experience that I had in what I did from uh, uh, my previous job, we like Again, it was data management. So we had to have ways to capture data. And our largest client was FedEx at the time. And so we built this system where I could scan a FedEx error bill, read as much of it as I could. Whatever I couldn't read, I could bring up on a screen to show somebody this is the piece I couldn't read, fill in the difference, right? Well, when I ended up getting a job with Service Power, we were collecting warranty claims. We started, that's how we kind of got in with OEMs and appliance manufacturers and consumer electronics. We were in the, the warranty side of that, and everybody would be sending in these paper claims. That start that that led me to, well, maybe we can scan these and take all this information off. What can I capture, read intelligently? I really understood that the mission of the business at the time was, it's not just about capturing the data anymore. Now it's, how do I intelligently use that data to enhance a process? So the process, and stop me anytime if you have a question along the way. <laughs> What we had at the time, and this was sort of where where the, the claims process evolved, was you have people out doing repairs in people's homes. And again, this was years ago. They would go in and do a repair, and they would want to get paid because it was under warranty. So now they're asking the OEM to get paid. They would send a piece of paper to them. So imagine emailing, a, here's my claim, and I need to get paid. That OEM would look at that piece of paper and go, well, for me to pay you, I require these different things. And you didn't do three of them. So I'm going to write you a little note that says, I need a valid serial number from you, or I need you to look at this part, and I mail it back to you. <laughs> and then they make a change, and they mail it back. And so you're talking, you know, it was taking probably 60 to 90 days to pay out on a warranty claim. And so that's where a system was then built that says, how can I have somebody electronically submit these things? And when it does electronically submit, how do I give them real-time feedback that says, oh, you missed these one, two, three things. Here's the errors that you haven't given us. And they can fix them on the spot. And that turned payment terms to where we have clients today who could, they, they typically can pay next day 
we have some who still say, well, I want to gather a week's worth of claims and pay them. I'll pay them at the end of the week, but whatever. But I mean, imagine small businesses that are going into your homes to repair things and how much cash flow matters to them. And to have 90 days of receivables tied up and I'm trying to get paid by these guys, but I'm waiting to hear a response. We turn that into, I can now do it in real time. I can have a response to you. And that's just one component of what we do. But that's kind of going back. That's where my background started, was working on that particular system. And again, in understanding the value of what we're creating, it got me to a point where I could be talking to the execs at the time to say, what can what can we do to make this process faster? What what you know, how can we do this? Can we try this? Can we try this? And that that kind of I think helped lead me into a product background because I think the number one thing you need to be considering in product is what's the value I can create. So yeah, I'll stop there. So <laughs> you you've hit on so many really, really great points. Uh when I think about product development in general and really everybody involved in it, the the key thing for me is really understanding the the value that you're creating, kind of like you mentioned, um, and having everybody aligned to that value. Um and and not necessarily just handing like here's a feature to build or or here's the thing, but here's the the experience that we're creating and the value that we're creating. How can we do that? And ultimately that being the best way to get, you know, the best experience and the best products and, and the best things created with everybody understanding that, you know, here's what we're trying to do, not necessarily just here's the the thing that we're creating. It's, you know, here's the goal that we're trying to achieve. I, I absolutely love that. How have you seen that in your experience be kind of perpetuated through through the culture? You know, is that something that has been you know, really part of, uh, the culture of the company or, or is that something that, you know, you, you kind of took, uh, early on and, uh, have, have instituted it as part of your role as you grew into it? Like how, how has that both shaped how, what you have done and shaped what, you know, what the company has become? Yeah. So I, I mean, I would tell you now as the guy who's on, uh, you know, in my 28 years, I ran product and then I moved over to professional services and ran our consulting division. And it was, last year, January, that I came back to running product again. Um, from a value standpoint and a cultural standpoint, I highly push this idea again of understand value creation. We're not just creating features to create features, but be able to explain to people the value associated with that. But your question goes to an interesting, again, it's interesting in the evolution of service power in that, and I, I don't know how deep you want me to go in everything that we do, but I'll just tell you at a high level. When you think of field service management, there are a couple different models of how you can execute on that. There's, do I employ a workforce or do I use independent contractors? And the reality is, I, th- I feel like service power kind of pushed into existence the idea that you don't do one or the other. You, really, the world has gone to both. I have to know how to manage a workforce of my own employees and supplement that with independent contractors. But again, as part of that evolution, we kind of ran as two separate businesses for the longest time. Like we were out selling, oh, you have an employed workforce? Here's, here's what you're going to use. And, oh, you have an independent contractor workforce? Here's what you're going to use. And it was in 2017, probably the most transformational time for service power, that we were, before that, publicly traded on the London Stock Exchange. Very difficult in that environment. We were, had to very much grow organically. We were taken private in 2017 and got heavy investment to the to the point of sort of the, the the culture of how we develop we got tasked with 
it's time to unify our platform into this idea of how do I intelligently understand how to work between two different workforces that what we think our competitors don't understand is you work very differently, whether it's employed versus a contractor. And so as we were unifying the platform, you know, our, our overall goal was no matter what service event comes in, whether I'm using an employee or a contractor, how do I ensure I give the same world-class experience to that end consumer who's doing that? So again, kind of to your question there, it wasn't about like, what's the best way to develop this? What's the, it's whatever it is, how do we ensure we're getting to, we want the experience to be world-class. It doesn't matter which resource you're using. I get a similar experience. I'm defending the brand of our client. That's always the first, like that's what matters most from a product standpoint and our platform standpoint. So I hope that's along the lines of how you asked that. No, I, th- I think that that's, that's really good. And, and you brought up a couple, I think, really interesting things to kind of dive into because I've had a couple experiences that are, that are probably in a similar vein where you're, you're taking, you know, two disparate either platforms or applications or even experiences and you know, really trying to, to unify those. And, and I'm interested in, you know, what were some of the challenges that you faced? You know, what was kind of the, the approach that you took as you really, you had kind of this separation and said, you know, we really need to create a unified, cohesive, exceptional experience and, and, and bring these things together. You know, what, what did that look like? You know, obviously there's a lot of challenges with that because, you know, there's different approaches that you take in kind of different areas and you know, how do you, how did you overcome those? And, and, you know, what was ultimately the end result of that? Yep. So I'll tell you the, 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 the easiest answer to that is, well, first I should explain when you look at our platform as it exists today, the various modules, the different things we do. So when you think of the fact that we do intelligent dispatch, you know, those claims that I was talking about, the reimbursement to service contractors, we have a, a customer portal that keeps the consumer involved in full transparency for them, empowers them to self-schedule, all the different things that we do. We have a mobile component. Some of that we built ourselves. Some of that we acquired. We we did a pretty good job, and I say that a little sarcastically, we did a pretty good job of having disparate technologies throughout those acquisitions, all of that stuff. So again, knowing the mission of we've got to unify this in a way that our clients see it as a unified platform and a unified experience, we didn't want to rewrite anything, but we looked at it as how do we minimize or mitigate anything that we look at from a technology standpoint and say, we might consider that tech stack to be a little more legacy. But again, I don't, I don't want to take it on and completely rewrite it, but how do I minimize it? How do I turn it into a service in the background? Because one of the bigger things we did is unification is... It's very common that a lot of our clients integrate to us, right? And so we we first started with, I have to have one single point of integration, one common layer that clients come to to integrate. And we will work out then, we, we call it service broker. That's the way, so we're brokering all these transactions. Uh, our developers will probably get mad if I just characterize it as an ESB, if you're familiar with that term, but that's kind of what it is. But now think of all those modules, the logic behind them in the background. One, I've got clients who have one single point of integration, so I've made it easier on them. I've got one singular UI, so I've unified those UIs across the top. But in the background, there is a lot of work that goes on that says, all right, I've hit a point of integration, and now I have to know which service to talk to to get the response I'm looking for. And so that's how we did it is we just, we, as much as we could, we turned those into services in the background that I can then call on. What that also does is when, a, you know, when we are 
whether we're innovating, whether a client's got a specific change request, we can build in the background and, and then uh, what's, the, what's the word I'm looking for? We can, we can make that available through the integration or through the UI. And again, it's still a singular view, singular experience for them where we might be working across a couple different modules to do it. So there's a little work on us to do it, but we have really simplified it for our clients and how it's done. I think that that's so important. And and I love really the key being the user and, and customer experience, because uh, I think so often it's easy to almost turn that around and be like, what is the easiest way for us to do these things? And, and, you know, maybe, and often that's where we end up with like, you know, multiple applications or, or, or multiple services and, and just kind of expecting the client or the customer to kind of navigate two or three things. And you can see that you, you as, as users of products, we may not understand that, you know, that's how we ended up with like, you know, some of these disparate experiences, but that's ultimately what it was. It was easier for whoever is creating it mm-hmm. to have, you know, multiple things rather than unify it in a, in a simplified experience. Like you were saying, where Ultimately, it ends up being technically more challenging and harder on the, you know, the business creating it, but it ends up being a much simpler user experience to just have, you know, one UI that you need to go to and, and one place to integrate and then everything else being handled on, you know, the, the back end with all of the services and, and, you know, the multiple points of integration where you don't have to see that as, as the user or the customer, it just works. And you kind of have that delightful right. experience. I, I love that. We, we, we were, um, what you're talking about before that, back, back in the early days yeah. was, oh, you're using this component. Then you go sign in over here. You're using that component. You go yep. over there. <laughs> and then we did some well, you're in this, but you want to look at that. So we've given you a, a link to click that takes you over there and signs you in. But even that's different than a, I sign in. I have one singular UI. Um, we even mapped out all the various personas of that to say, okay, who are the types of users? And then just plan out like, okay, how do I, how do I communicate with the services in the background to visualize to that user? Yeah. And that's a, that's a lot of hard work. I, I know I've been through it several times and like doing that unification, it can be a real, real challenge in order to bring the experience together like that. But ultimately for like the end user, it becomes so much, so much simpler and so much more intuitive to be able to, you know, like you said, to not be linked from one place to the other, you go in and you sign in and then you have to link over to another place and in order to get to whatever that you need. Um, I, I I think I just absolutely love that because it it speaks to I think the problems that so many of us face as we especially as we're handling applications or, or software that has been around for a little bit longer, um, which eventually is all software. Mm-hmm. Like it's we think that you know maybe we're building something new and flashy, but after a short period of time, it has been around for a little while, and and you start to face these problems no matter what. Like it's just the nature of of software. You have to continually be thinking about it and cognizant of the user experience because otherwise it starts to, to pull apart into, you know, these multiple experiences kind of like we were talking. Right. I mean, the the one thing I'll tell you that sometimes is a little bit of a controversial opinion, uh, not that big a deal, but you get asked all the time, well, when is that going to be done? When is on that product? When is it? When is that product done and you can just harvest off of it, right? And the reality is, the answer to that, in my opinion, is it's never done. 
ever. I mean, even the unification that we've done, there's always still ongoing work that we're doing to try and improve it. Because, I mean, I know it sounds cliche, but if you're not constantly improving, then you're falling back, right? Or you're getting stale. So it's never done. And <laughs> we, we do get asked that all the time. Well, when is this one done? And we can just like, that, you know, I can go into, I've heard this term before. We can just go into maintenance mode on it. And it's like, there's no such thing. It doesn't exist. So. Yeah. I 100% agree with that. Yep. I, I have never liked that idea of just it's maintenance mode. And I remember in a previous role, talk them, the, uh, the organization talking about like de-staffing down to just a maintenance team mm-hmm. at, at some point for some, for some of the products, you know, where it goes down to just like a, a developer or something like that, just to maintain it. And at that point, it's like this thing will ultimately will never be the same because it, a product is never at the point where it's just, it works so beautifully and so flawlessly that you can just have somebody there maintaining it, whatever that's supposed to mean. Um, Because like you said, if you're not constantly improving it, you will ultimately be falling behind because there are other things that will constantly be improving and the experience will, will constantly be degrading um, over time. And if you're not working on it, then it is just by, by its very nature getting worse over time. Yep, exactly. I'm interested, you know, you mentioned the, you know, bringing a lot of these things together, um, you know, buying some of the, the software, reusing some of the things you had built in house. Now, how did you, you approach that? You know, I, uh, we've done this, you know, in multiple times, uh, you know, throughout some of the applications and software that I built, you know, as we've been uh, building in house and, and bringing in other things from uh, external vendors and kind of tying it all together. You know, what has been your approach to kind of this buy versus build in kind of putting together the experience? So for me, I I am always of the mindset. I get asked all the time, you know, what would it take to build something or can we build something? And, you know, I'm always of the mindset that you can build anything, right? Technical standpoint, we can do anything. So it's more about speed to market. Um, Can I find it somewhere that I can bolt it on and I can be in the market faster? That's that to me is always the number one consideration. Uh, Now, when we evaluate things, when it becomes a buy, we are looking at, at how extensible is it? How well is it? You know, can it can it bolt in and talk to other applications? But I but I think that's always the mindset of we we can always build. Uh, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I get asked. You know, is this even possible? Pretty much anything's possible. You know, when you talk about software, but it's always a speed to market question for us, um, and so we just we just evaluate it based on based on that, I think is the highest level of how that decision's made. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. As you've kind of grown through, you know, we've talked a little bit about this, grown through service power and, and come up through the organization. Um, I'm interested in, you know, how you've viewed your, you know, the, the role changes. And one of the things that we, we, we see a lot now is you know, kind of this um, moving from company to company, um, w- which I think is is probably more common now. You, what, what's what's your mindset uh, as far as staying you know, with ServiceNow or, or sorry, Service Power, not ServiceNow, which is also yep. software company, yep. <laughs> Service Power for um, you know twenty eight years, kind of 
moving up through the organization, taking on multiple different roles, as opposed to, you know, taking on new roles at different companies. Walk us through, you know, your, your, your mindset as, as you were going through that and, and possibly even considering, um, you know, the pros and cons of that. Uh, and especially as today, it's, it's probably um, more of a, a common mindset to, you know, to move from company to company. Yeah, I totally recognize I'm an anomaly in the world. Days at a company as long as I do. I mean, even I'm an, I'm a bit of an anomaly within service power. We 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 do have a lot of people though who have stayed a long time. I don't even think I'm the longest tenured right now. I think uh, we've got a couple people that started a little bit before me. So so that I mean that's the number one thing is service power is a great place to work. But to be very honest with you, 28 years being a long time, it's not like I haven't had my opportunities, right? That said, because of the opportunities I've had within Service Power and to be able to run other sections of the business, you know, I am a guy who, if I just had the same job for 28 years, that would probably be a little soul crushing. And I, and I get, you know, I have to feel like I'm advancing and taking on new challenges. And, and Service Power has afforded that to me at every turn. So, I mean, just to give you an example, the I, I ran product for my first go round. I did it for about five years. And at that time, that was after I'd run development and that was kind of building out product from the ground up. When I first took on the title of, I think my title was VP of product management. I was it. I was product. One guy. Uh, and now we have six product managers. I have a program manager within product. I have, we have documentation people within product. So we've, we've built that out over the years. So really proud of that. That's where at a certain point it was like, all right, I've been doing this for five years. I'm, you know, what's next? What, where are we going next? And there was this thinking that our consulting arm, one, I did kind of know our platform inside and out. So how could I look at things from that perspective and go, how can I take what I know about the platform and build up professional services in a way that they become more efficient and we can implement better and just, you know, become more powerful and more valuable as it relates to the services we can offer to our clients beyond just what we're building in the platform. Um, so that was exciting when some, some issues happened with who took my place in product and that I, I think I ran professional services for three years. It even became clear to me. I'm like, this is great that I've done this. It's on my resume. I started talking to people going, you know, I, I'm seeing some issues and things are my opinion of how we're doing things on the product. And everyone kind of agreed. And they're like, well, what do you think we should do? And I said, I'm ready to come back. <laughs> you know, would you, afford me that privilege. And they were all like, yeah, happy, happy to do that, whatever you want to do. I think the the number one answer to that is I feel like my fingerprints are all over this company at this point. And, and there will, I mean, I'm 53 now. I don't think I'll, you know, I, I think change will happen in my future, but there is some line or level. And I don't even know if I know it yet that I want to get service power too, before I just say, you guys are great and you can, you don't need me to do this anymore. And uh, I mean, it is nice to wake up every day and I know I, I feel very valued at service power. So yeah, for me, it's just, I haven't wanted to, you know, every time I've thought about had opportunities that presented themselves and it's like, I, I, I like being here. I, my roles change enough that the challenge is still there. So I think that's, that's really great. And, and I think a lot about that sort of thing, especially within a career of both the, you know, the opportunity to, to move in 
around to different companies and, and find those different roles, but also finding them within a company, kind of like you were talking about and you know, being able to both grow and develop there, which is uh, another way of doing it. Kind of like you mentioned, like not necessarily having to, to move into other places in order to find those types of opportunities, which I think is often kind of what happens is, you know, not necessarily being able to find those, those moves at, at, at a company. And so having to kind of look outward in order to do that. And so being able to find, to find that. And then this idea of finding that, you know, I've heard the reference to like a, a terminal seat. So not, not necessarily that all of us are going to find a place that we're just going to stay forever, but finding that place that, that is like, kind of like you mentioned that you don't have that desire to leave. Like this is a place that I could stay for a long time because it, you, you feel valued and you have the opportunities to grow and you have, you have an exciting challenge or challenges that you're continually taking on, um, which ultimately is, is a lot of what we're working for anyway. Right. So I, I think that those are, those are interesting things to think about, at least from my perspective, especially as we're, we're considering career moves and, and career progression. I, I think that it, it's valuable to kind of take all of that in context, especially as, as we're trying to kind of shape careers. And, and it's interesting because I think the mindset has shifted being a long-term at, at one place into kind of moving around to lots of places. And, and um, it'll, it'll be interesting how that continues to, to shape and shift over the next little while, because I, it, you know, it's constantly shifting and generating. I I don't know where we'll land. Yeah. And I'll just say, you know, I I don't, again, I I recognize I'm, I'm different and that it's 28 years, but what I would tell people is there is something about what it does to your resume. If you can show and like, this is common in the software world. So I'm not necessarily talking specifically about service power here, but if you can show that you can build an organization, build a platform, and in a lot of cases in the software world, there may be an exit that happens, whatever. If you can if you can be part of that end to end, and that doesn't have to be, again, that doesn't have to be anywhere near 28 years, right? Some people are doing three to five years, right? Potentially even less. But if you can do that, I mean, there is a formula to that, that if you can show that you've done that beginning to end, that's going to be a very powerful tool where you're going to get to kind of pick choose. I mean, we, we have those discussions with our uh, ownership at times where they've, I mean, obviously they hold a lot of different companies and they talk about best practices across the different companies of processes and mechanisms that they're doing to manage things. And so there is, there's a science to it. And, and again, if you can show that, you know, I participated in that beginning to end, it's just a very powerful tool that now, now tons of opportunities will open to you. Absolutely. Um, I, I think that's great. You know, one of the, the big things that we're talking a lot about today is AI and its growing role in the services and the products that that we're using. It's growing in pretty much, you, you know, you can't really get on to anything right now without kind of seeing the discussion of AI. And I know um, in most of the things that, that I'm doing now, it, it's kind of like, where are we incorporating this? Um, how can we can continue to, to develop it? Um, so I'm interested you know, how are you incorporating AI? How do you see it impacting, you know, the customer service experience, um, the, the products that you're doing and just the, the future of, um, you know, customer service 
and experiences in general. Yep. So I'm going to throw in one other term for you that I think is synonymous with AI. Is ever and everybody says they're doing it. They're using AI and machine learning, right? So you all see AI. I'll talk. I'll tell you specifically about from a service power standpoint. Like for us, um, it's all about the ability to predict. So using AI and machine learning for things like I have a service event and can I use predictive triage based on what hearing are the issues to suggest to try this, try this, try that. Um, once I've identified there's an event of service going on, can I predict what parts I might need on my truck? And can I make predictions that say, well, if I'm using this one part, I'm just as likely to need another part because the whole idea in our world is I want somebody showing up with everything they need, first time fix, and I'm done. So I don't want to have to order a part. I don't want to have to say I'm going to have to come back. That That's a big part of in, in my world today where AI and machine learning are playing a role. We, we also, for a long time, actually, have used um, AI-based algorithms as it relates to when you have an employed workforce and I can do things like how do I optimize their schedule. Um, so there's a lot of things that that, you know, we can we can shift levers on a business based on their KPIs, and uh, again, use AI to as as jobs are running to understand how are people performing. So how does that affect how I should create schedules in the future? So we're very, very much historically we've been involved on the AI side. What I'll tell you as it relates to the combo of that AI and machine learning, what I feel like we've learned as we've been working to build these things out or partner with people who bring. AI and machine learning is every, everybody says they do it doesn't mean they really do. And what I've learned to ask people when it relates, especially to something like machine learning, machine learning, the real trick behind it is you have to build the model to begin with. And to build the model to begin with, you have to build a work with unstructured data. So someone has to create a way to capture unstructured data. And then in interpreting that unstructured data, and it starts to make suggestions, you then have to have a feedback loop because that's how it learns. And so, again, when I start pressing people, like if we're looking at partners that say, I have this great machine learning tool, I go, well, tell me how you're structuring unstructured data. That's number one. And then I will say, you know, explain in some level of detail how your feedback loop works. Because what you start to learn is, well, what they're really doing is they're using historical data to make predictions based on just history but it's not, it doesn't have this continuous feedback loop because the key to it is it's supposed to learn over time and shift and make the predictions as it's understanding more data. And so that's where I, I, I mean, I find all the discussion around AI and ML to be fascinating because there are a lot of real world applications of it going on today. But I, but I still feel like it's in this state where people say they do it and they might be on the path, but, but, you know, again, there's a lot still going on that they need to do to have it properly done and useful bringing value. So, yeah, it definitely feels like we're in this almost infancy stage of it. Well, and we've been there for a little while, but the, on the cusp of uh, what's going to be just a new phase of, of this where it, AI has lived in PowerPoint for, for a long, long time, um, which, Mm -hmm. We say that a little bit tongue in cheek, but where everybody has been talking about it and, and doing um, some pretend or, or or some approximation of it. But as we really start to be able to get into it more, I, I think there's more and more, like you said, uh, coming of age of mm-hmm. real applications of it that we're really starting to see, which which will be 
really interesting and, and how they impact software and how they, then how that starts to spread into other real world applications, um, right. which we'll probably start to see more and more of, which is both exciting and, and it will probably be really fascinating over the next little while. I, I think the number one thing that I see out there today that's fascinating to me is chat GPT and what people are starting to be able to do with that. There are so many different applications to how that can be used. Um, we're even looking at it today as part of how it can help quality of code. And it can it can spot and check and say, you need to look at this and that and that. And I mean, that that one's one that totally fascinates me right now. Yeah, no, it's the applications of it. I feel like have just grown incredibly, incredibly fast uh, and are just continuing to to spread uh, really, really quickly. So it'll, it'll be really interesting. I'm interested, you know, we, we've we've kind of touched on uh, a few things about your career, but I'm interested in, as you kind of look back, what you wish you would have known earlier in your career that, that maybe you know now? <laughs> I mean, I know specific answers to that as it relates to service power, just general career. I mean, you look back and hindsight's always like, if I had thought, if we had thought of this idea, you know, five years ago, you know, we, we could have been so much further out ahead uh, uh, of the world. I'm trying to think, I, again, I'll give one example of that. And then maybe that'll trigger just a more generic response is when we were kind of running separately, one of the things traditionally for the longest time that service power didn't have, we work with the largest of the large companies, um, when you look at our client list, so if you consider like just let's just take it as an example, appliance manufacturers, GE, LG, uh, you mentioned Whirlpool already, uh, Electrolux, the largest of the large, and we have almost all of them on our platform already. Um, we had this sort of strategy of they, they all come with their own front end CRM. So they're going to do work order management and that they're using us for services in the background. Um, and that's great. And for the longest time, that's how things ran. But we actually, I remember people actually saying, yeah, we're, we're not a front end system. We leave that with the client. And over time, clients started saying to us, hey, I don't want to go. I don't want to use Salesforce for my front end. It's just like I have to get this like nuclear bomb of a system. Don't you have something simple that you can give us? And that was something. So maybe I can turn this into a generic answer is everything doesn't have to be complicated. Like you don't always have to build these huge complex systems that do so much you'd be amazed at how much people value simplicity and so based on that uh, we started this i think a year and a half ago we have actually built out finally our own front-end work order management system and it's getting great reviews and people are interested and again it's when people ask us well is it a crm and we go no it's not it's it's specific to field service it's specific to book and manage jobs, um, you know, from end to end of the process and have that front end to give you full visibility and, you know, all the alerts you need and everything that's going on. And again, they look at it and they go, well, actually, this is really valuable because it's simple. Like, I don't have to have, <laughs> I don't need a million functions. And it's kind of just like a light bulb way back in the day of we were actually openly saying, well, that's not who we are as a company. And we're not going to build that. And again, when you hear, well, I just want something simple. You know, and so that would have been a good one to, to think about early on because you're always like thinking in these big grand terms and you don't always need that. Yeah, that, that's that's really good because uh, Salesforce, for example, is just so, so complicated. 
a lot of the the best solutions are just very, very simple. I mean, obviously it's a super powerful thing. And, uh-huh. and a lot of times some companies and some groups need very, very powerful solutions. But a lot of times the right answer is a very, very simple solution where you don't need you know every possible option or every possible feature or anything like that. You just need a very specific, simple solution. Uh, and, and I think that's absolutely right. Well, there, there's, I mean, another saying I've always heard that, that I think kind of applies to that is when you have someone, and I'm not, Salesforce is a very powerful tool, just like you said. So I'm not trying to be negative on yeah. this. This goes to a lot of different companies we've seen. You build so much across the top from a functionality standpoint. And so they make the comment that, you know, the solution is a mile wide, but it's only an inch deep because then you get into what have each of those do? Well, there's so many for them to manage that they have a little bit of functionality. Whereas that's another interesting one is we've learned stay in our lane, stay at what we're good at, stay at what our core competency is and make that powerful. Right. And you can still say, make that simplistic to use, easy to use, but double down on what you're good at. Right. (laughs) Instead of, you know, we, we constantly get asked, are you going to build out these additional 10 things or, and they're not just features. They're like full fledged modules. And sometimes we just flat out say, it's not who we are happy to partner with someone or bolt on something that you may want to use, but you know, again, double down on what you're good at. Yeah. I think that, I think you've hit on a great point there and pass or, or say no to the things that just don't fit within that. Right. And you know, stick with what makes sense for, for you yep. and you don't have to say yes to everything. Exactly. Oh, that's another one is <laughs> we've had, if you go back to that culture question, ask me say yes to everything. Again, in 28 years, I've seen us go through periods where you got to make a deal. You say yes to everything. I mean, you know, we got to keep the doors open. There were years where it was like, got to keep the doors open. But yeah, the problems that creates from a product standpoint are, you know, eventually you got to overcome that stuff where, well, now I'm on the hook to build out all this stuff that can I productize and can I sell it to the rest of the world? Is it only going to be for this one deal now? Or, you know, and, and that makes it tougher to support, tougher to scale, all stuff you have to consider. I have definitely been there. And I think probably most people uh, listening have probably been there as well, where you say yes to far, far too many mm-hmm. things, especially when it comes to to making some of those deals or sales or whatever yep. it is. And, and that's just, it, it's a, it ends up being a terrible, terrible spot to be in too often. Right. This, uh, Brad, this has been a really, really fun uh, conversation. Um, I, I do have two kind of wrap up questions that we like to do uh, here at the end. But before we get there, is there anything else that, uh, you know, that you, you would like to add that we are on any of the things that we talked about or maybe didn't get a chance to talk about? I, I don't know. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Again, I told you beforehand, this is my first podcast in the time alone, but I'm shocked that we've been at this for, for quite a while already. So I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I guess I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't throw out a pitch for anybody who hears this to go check us out on our website, servicepower.com. That maybe is coming in your final two questions. We think we have a pretty powerful solution at service power. We think we're very unique. Nobody competes with us on the two streams I've talked about as far as employed versus contracted and how you blend that together. There is no company out there that does it the way we do it. There is a reason we do it the way we do it, because we know that you interact with those different workforces in different ways. Um, so we think we have a pretty powerful solution. So, you know, if anyone anyone's listening that that has not heard of us or wants to take a look at that, check it out. I would just encourage people when they do check it out, just go look at our client list alone. Our client list is pretty amazing for 
when you consider who we are as a company and the size we are, we have blue chip clients. I mean, just like I said, the largest of the large. Um, so yeah, I would just encourage people to check that out. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. We'll put that link in the show notes, okay. uh, to servicepower.com. Um, anywhere else where people can find out more about service power or you or anything else. I mean, I mean the website, if, if they want to, uh, reach out and find me on LinkedIn, um, you're going to find plenty of, uh, marketing material we've put out there, you know, an articles usually going out or some thought leadership or, so I would, I would check us out definitely on LinkedIn as well. Um, and again, feel free to search up my profile. Um, a, lo- a lot of the content we're putting out is a combination of it's under my name, it's under service power in general, but that would be another easy place to find us. And, and again, it's cause I'm just going to assume your, your podcast is huge. That's, that's North America and Europe. I mean, we're, that's basically where we play. So yeah, global. Yeah, we'll yeah we'll put the links uh, to all that in the show notes. Okay, um, so you can check that out. Awesome. And then for you know, for kind of for our wrap up questions, we like to ask if there's anything that you have read or watched uh, or listened to recently that you found particularly interesting. This should probably be product related, right? Or is this just anything? This is just anything. So anything that you've watched or read or listened to, you you can uh, we kind of leave this one wide open. I mean. I- <laughs> Again, it has nothing to do with with product. I'm trying to think what what all we've been reading or or doing as it relates to product, but just life in general. You know, again, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I uh, read things that are related to relationships and how to interact with people. That's and and part of that from a business standpoint is I'm a big believer of culture mattering in business. But, but even beyond that, I, as, as a guy who, you know, again, I already mentioned here that I'm, I'm 53 years old. I'm kind of, there was, there was a point in life where I had to kind of restart life a little bit. And that's what got me out here to Arizona. And so I do a lot of reading as it relates to how to be better with people, how to be better in your relationships. And so I think, you know, again, just, the one thing that's coming to mind for me, and it's not a book, it's literally just a, a quote, and I won't even get the quote 100% accurate, but it was something along the lines of the expectations that people have about everything, they're, whether it's work, whether it's family, relationships, whatever they're doing. And it's understanding in life that you know life is this journey where the reality is, again, I'm going to try to do the quote, but I won't get it nearly right. The quote was something along the lines of, it's like a, life is like a, a, a journey on a, on a train. It's going to be hot. It's, you're going to see that it's dusty. It's, there's jolts. There's, you know, and in, and in life in general, you don't make most putts. Most meat is tough. It's, it's understanding when you have those certain moments in life, like when you're on the train and you suddenly see these beautiful vistas, you, you know, you arrive at this beautiful destination. Life is recognizing when you're in these incredible moments, they're not all going to be incredible. So have the perspective that, you know, be grateful for everything you have. And, and, and again, just recognize that it's, it's not always, it's going to be a grind most of the time. So just be thankful that you're on the journey, right? Again, I really botched it. I know who did the quote. I just don't have it hundred percent. If you want, I could look it up real quick. I know exactly how to find it. That'd be helpful, but. That's a good, uh, that, I'm sure that's a great paraphrase of it. And, and I, I like the, the essence of it because it, it's very much, you know, we're, we're not, you're not every, certainly not every moment is, is a great one. 
And, um, you know, there's a lot of just the kind of, like you said, the bumps and jolts and, and dustiness, but then appreciating the, those, uh, special moments, uh, as well. And like, actually like really taking the time and, and being in them, uh, I think is, is, is a great part of it. So I, I love right. that. I think that's great. Right. Let's see. Here it is. Uh, anyone who imagines that bliss is normal is going to waste a lot of time running around shouting that he's been robbed. The fact is most pots don't drop. Most beef is tough. Most children grow up to be just people. Most successful marriages require a high degree of mutual toleration. Most jobs are more often dull than otherwise. Life is like an old time rail journey, delays, sidetracks, smoke, dust, cinders, and jolts interspersed only occasionally by beautiful vistas and thrilling bursts of speed. The trick is to be thankful for letting you have the ride. I love that quote. I, I think it's spectacular. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's probably a great place uh, to end it as well. So uh, take time to especially enjoy those, uh, those amazing vistas that we get along the way. Well, Brad, this has been a, a really great conversation and, and I appreciate it. We will again, put all of those links in the show notes and appreciate all of the insight that, that you've had for, with both the, the life quotes, as well as the, the product experience. Um, and you know, just a lot of the, the business and customer experience and, and customer insights. I think this has been a really, really great conversation. I appreciate you having me. I had a blast. I, I love doing this kind of stuff. Although again, this was my first podcast, but thank you for having me. Yeah, this was great. All right. Well, Brad, appreciate it. And thank you everyone for listening. We will uh, see you again next time. Thanks again for listening. If you like the show, be sure to follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow the show on Twitter at prod by design. That's prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me at Kyle Larry Evans on Twitter as well. If you want more product conversation, check out my newsletter product thinking at productthinking.cc. You can follow me on Medium at Kaya Larry Evans as well, or check out my Medium publication, uh, Product by Design. Thanks again.